All right, everybody, welcome back to The Protocols. This is uh, episode three. Today we are going a little bit back in time and we're going to be discussing the Alpha Trion Protocol set one. But before we get into that, of course, let me introduce my co-host for the evening, Mr. Richard Wyatt to my right. How you doing, Mr. Wyatt? And below me, Mr. Scott Landis. How you doing, Scott? Good. So it's been a while since... Um, I don't know, probably any of us have really talked about set one, uh, and I don't know that any of us have really had the opportunity to really truly discuss what it did to the metagame for the Alpha Trium Protocol series, uh, tournament series, so it's, it, I, I, we, we felt that it'd be really important to, before we get into set two and all that's going to do, just kind of like take a look at set one and see how the meta developed and evolved through four events with it now being played between the three webcam events and the one extra life on octagon that was also played in it um is there anything specific that someone wants to like bring up before like we break down some of those tournaments uh it, it or let's 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 say what let's start it like this uh, let's start with why why do you think the goal of set one was complete by now which was the fourth event that we had to see these cards in do you think our goal of creating a deck diversity and a more balanced metagame happened i think so um i think you can look at just the evidence evidence by the different top eights uh that we have been posted whether it was titan one or full constructed um i wouldn't necessarily okay so the top eight that was in the the extra life event i'm not sure how great of data that is a lot of people played really fun decks yeah. me included i did not play a competitive deck sure, but sure. um uh, but i think it was one of those things too where like we actually talked about this a lot offline not recorded really much anywhere but uh we were afraid that we hadn't made a big enough impact right um by the end of development i think you know especially with the, the goals you laid out scott um, like our early our early portion of the of the design portion of things, um, and I think that it was surprising uh, how well I think those goals were achieved. Part of that feels like a little bit of a kind of like vote of confidence or like a an unspoken oath by the large portion of the community not to just play the really busted decks every time. I, I guess it's like that. I, I'm going to be honest. Like I, I think that still like in uh, if people would just play the best deck, which they don't always, if they just play the best deck, that like a lot of AT people would be won, still would have been just Quake. There still would have been a lot of Quake everywhere. So, but I, I think that if you look at the metagame, I think the impact that the stuff that we made in ATP one released had a bigger and more far-reaching impact than we even actually thought that it had. So, um, very, I'm personally very happy. Scott. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Can you guys hear me? We got an audio thing? Oh. No. Did you say anything? And play. All right, so Scott, what, what, how, about, how are your feelings on it? Um, Kind of mixed, Um, because I would say, like, while, while I think the stated goal of seeing older cards see play as a result of it was that goal is very obvious because the cards all older cards they're nothing quote new they're all strategies for older characters but but to be honest with you like and, and you would you, you've seen the deck list more than i have but i but i can just tell from the, the games that i've played as well as what i've seen um i would still only say that about like a half to maybe slightly over a half of the cards are seen play mm-hmm. um and i think that's probably like it seems like a lot of people were gravitating towards the same ones which means that unfortunately we may have made our own like tiered structure within the set, and mm. we and I don't think that was intentional. Sure. Um, I, I don't think we walked out of there saying. I I know when you really had a conversation, probably which we could probably could have done better to say like, I think these are the ones that are going to see play, and therefore we should be prepared for this. It was just like here you go, here's everything, go at it, and and as a result, I think with only half of them really seeing play, even though I think some of the ones in the other half probably are powerful enough to see play. We just, um, I think that's just the nature of having, you know, people that are just going to gravitate towards what they want to play. But I think overall the goal of older characters seeing play and competing with the newer cards. So basically um, 
reverse power creep in a way, like like getting the order things up to speed was definitely done well. I just think that there there's probably more to be explored with some of the ones that aren't seeing play um, that I think people could probably um, have taken a look at. Yeah, uh, I'm going to piggyback off both of you a little bit for different reasons. Um, the one about not... Uh, why it kind of touched on saying that, like, there were... Everyone would play the best deck, which I can respect. I can I can understand those things. But what we had quickly realized is, at the end of the day, what we created was actual choice. And we gave more than, like, a realistic three to maybe four choices in the game that people were just always gravitating towards. It was, like, just too easy because the power level was too good. So while all the stratagems aren't up to the power level of those decks before... Uh, with the addition of banning of Peace Through Tyranny and Daring Escape, um, the power level of non-Titan decks did go up. So because mm-hmm. of that, the these other decks like the Dinobots, um, you know, and even like uh, just like the Jetfire deck and um, specifically the Rally deck in a way that uh, Christian had played to a finals at the Extra Life event... Um, all those decks may have gotten a little bit of an uptick because of a Peace to Tyranny ban. And that kept that kind of felt like followed through. It wasn't just as easy to just be like, I'll just play three random Titans type deck because you don't have that security blanket Peace to Tyranny. Um, but really, like, it's the community itself. Like, in all three of these events, we've had a, a very large variance of, like, what the most played deck is. Um... The play, most played character is still Fangry. I, I don't think we can get away from it. He's just that good. Uh, but the... But, like, you know... Overrated, for sure. <laughs> Woo! Anyway. Um, yeah, so I think, it, I think that's the most interesting thing, is that we did create enough options that, even though it's slightly under the curve of the power level of a Quake or of a Sky Shadow, there's still, like you know, a skill set involved and like a want to play those decks because they're not, they're not too far below the curve. Um, and then for Scott's point, me and Scott have talked about this offline. The weirdest thing about designing cards now and not being, you know, under the microscope of watching Watsy design cards and then going through every card and then discussing what the metagame will look like. It, it almost feels like weird to do that now because we want people to explore the sets and and learn the process and not just maybe like quote be handed all the information at once um so i've liked i've actually enjoyed seeing the development uh between the invitational and now and and how drastic that top eight looks to be honest i mean there were there was only one dinobots in the invitational and then and in this one there was three you know, there's three Dinobots in the top eight. So, like, uh, there, there's definitely been they a pretty... They look different. They look, they look a lot different. Right, right. Um, so it was really yeah. interesting. One of our worries was that there wasn't going to be enough time for the meta to develop before ATP 2 came out. But we did have three events, and even with the Extra Life being a little bit more of the the fun, quirky event, it was still a lot of exploring and a lot of uh, decks that we hadn't really seen before um you know Wyatt you played a two tall OA deck and um Neil played that really weird Volcanicus deck like Christian had the Christian had the rally deck that no one had really played rally before there was a wheeljack deck so there was definitely a bunch of different stratagems that weren't seeing as much love uh in that manner so it was still cool to see those things happen but yeah um as far as the like, let's just take a look at the Invitational real quick. Uh, so, Oh, man. I haven't looked at these deck lists in a while, I'm not right, going to lie. Right, right, right. So the top eight of the Invitational was Christian winning with Quake, myself playing Jetfire, there was another horrible Quake, there was a Demolisher, uh, uh, the Demolisher, Dark Mount, Fangry deck, there was Dinobots, and then there were three Perceptor decks, right? So that's how the Invitational started. Now, granted, this these, these numbers are slightly skewed. It was a single elimination event. Um, so you didn't really get to see the full effect of, of the format kind of unfold because it is, you know, when it comes to single elimination, it's mostly based on, uh, like matchups, right? Um, so like if you just get the better matchup, you know, you do better, obviously. Um, 
but what's crazy about like when I look at this invitational list now, I don't have because I'm I'm bad and I haven't I have to per, I have to myself install them in the Teletram one, which is where all of our tournament reports will be found from now on. Uh, shout out to Zero because he has all our cards on there. It just makes it my life easier in the end. Um, so once I have that, we'll talk about that some other time. But the, in that, if you look at this 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 list here, and you have the three Perceptor decks in the top eight of the November constructed. There are no Perceptors in top eight. Um, there are two Quakes in this top eight. There are no... wild? Right. There are no Quakes in top eight. Uh, now, there are three Dinobots, and that... Well, there's two reasons there's no Quake. One, he played against two Dinobots and lost against both of them. Two, there's only one Quake in the entire... One person registered a Quake. So, like, that's kind of what you talked about earlier. Like, oh, hey, uh, you know, this is a good deck. People should play it. But... People don't want to play it. They want to play these new, interesting things. So, hey, shout out to them because they're giving everything a shot. Um, but yeah, what are you guys? Are you guys shocked about that? Like the idea that like Quake did win the first event, and then the next time the tournament came around, no one really played it. I I'm gonna be honest. So I mentioned in my kind of like analysis, like backtrack or retrospective. Uh, piece that I think a lot of people not playing Quake was that they were tired of playing Quake and had this kind of unspoken agreement that they weren't just all going to take it. Now, that said, we specifically designed the Dinobots team to be uh, what I would call like a metagame rotational tool Mm -hmm. um, in that it may have had a bad Sky Shadow matchup, but its Quake matchup's actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was intentional, it was by design. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that being the case meant like if everyone did start to take Quake, then you'd see a lot of Dinobots. And Dinobots got beat by Jetfire, and Jetfire got beat by Inferno. So like you see, like there's like a we we tried to instill rotational tools um, within ATP one originally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, people just ended up not being of kind of I guess you might call it like of the same mind event or event. So it wasn't like one event was the Quake event. One of it was the Dinobots event. That's right. not what people ended up doing. They ended up right. kind of like in factions, like taking groups of decks. Right. I talked about this, um, I think, uh, a while ago. But I was actually shocked. We didn't see more Dinobots in the Titan 1 event that followed the Invitational. Yeah, well, that's... Just because the whole line is legal. Yeah, like, because even right. in, in this top eight, you know, there's no Sky Shadows in this top eight. But in the top eight of the Titan 1, there were three or <laughs> four. Maybe even four, there were four actually. So, yeah, it, it shows how quickly that you could you can flip that switch and Sky Shadow just shows up again. Um, I'm just I'm also just absolutely shocked that uh, you see you should just see like Perceptor kind of drop off a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that's crazy. But part of that I think is the game is just kind of fast. Like even the other control decks uh like are still pretty fast at like turning the corner once like jetfire gets set up it turns the corner once you see like the dinobots deck is always attacking for like nine right it, they have a belligerence's main deck like um so i'm not shocked about any of that being the case um i think i was shocked there were fewer there were fewer quake decks in the invitational originally and then i am still shocked there were only two in this tournament although i do think that like all the quake decks you've had to take uh, two events, if you're going to play Quake, you've had to make concessions to ATP 1. And I think we talked about this offline a bunch. I don't know if I actually ever said this anywhere. But the fact that Quake had to change what its deck looked like to still be the best deck, I think is a win for us. Right. Like, Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I just pulled, I pulled up Christian's list just to, like, to show everyone. Like, we're talking about he was main decking calculated strikes. You know, like, <laughs> like, that card wasn't even seeing play before Jazz was printed, right? But now it's a two of in the main deck of the deck that won the Invitational. And I think that speaks volumes of, A, to Christian's play because he was correct to make this call, and B, you know, the extent that players had to take a concession. They just couldn't play all the best cards. They had to play, you know, off-putting cards to, to make up for those things. You also saw Scoundrel's Blaster become stock in the main deck of uh, Quake decks, where before it was kind of like, coin toss you've played one maybe maybe it was in your sideboard mm-hmm. uh but once once the introduction of specifically jazz like they have to play scoundrels blaster now and yep. so that's like three to four cards like you're forcing quake to change mm-hmm. um and even then like you still have recourse there so like that is a that's a big win because that might open up some different metagame room for other decks to have like a slightly better quake matchup so right. anything to add there scott 
No, I mean I've been talking about this since the game started. Like anytime you have a game that's based on characters, you're you're always going to have where I just feel like people just aren't quote playing the best deck because mm-hmm. they just want to play what they what they want to play. Then there's only and and I guess what kind of surprises me a little bit is that there's I mean I can only think of a few players that actually like consistently play the same deck. Period. Sure. Um. So it's like I feel like there probably isn't a lot of opportunity for people just to learn and grow mm-hmm. with the deck. So if you're talking about introducing um, 11 new cards that are all, like, that are intentionally all impactful, I think there just isn't enough time and effort all the time to put into, to quote, figuring it out. And I, th- I don't even think that one event isn't enough time. So right. I'm not surprised because it's just the, the nature of the way the game works right. and has always worked. Um, since day one. I actually have a great point to this. Uh, believe it or not, so Tim Teo, a shout out to Tim um, and TPTSD, just great guys, consistent participants in these events. Um, uh, he got knocked out early in the single a limb top playing 16. A, a top 16, uh, playing a Jetfire Jazz deck. Mm-hmm. And he literally, uh, Dane told me this, so I'm only hearing this story secondhand. But uh, <laughs> I'm taking all the credit anyway, because that's what I do. But uh, <laughs> uh, but he took literally the exact same deck into the next event um, because he said, I, like, my, I don't think my deck is bad. I just think like things didn't shake out my way. And lo and behold, um, each time that Tim has successive, successively uh, played Jetfire Jazz, he's had like a, a better and better and good and this really solid performance after that. So right. like I think... And his was partially, like, maybe the metagame around it was still evolving, and so, like, his matchup percentages were still shaping up, and he was still figuring out a lot of how to play the deck, because it's not even just, are you taking the best deck? It's, how are you, how well are you playing a deck that is actually good? Like, because those those are different facets that are, are both part of the multivariate equation of success, so. Yeah, I wanted to bring it up. Um, yeah, so, this is... Tim, uh, Tim Teo's deck. Now, Tim, like he said, he was, he played the deck in the Invitational, he went to top 16, uh, he ended up, I believe he lost to, I think he lost to one of the Perceptor decks, if I'm correct. I want to say it was Kai. I think, I think it, was, it Kai. was, I think it was Kai. Um, and then, like you said, he, he messaged me and said, I don't have time to test anything else, my deck is legal in Titan 1, ported the Titan 1, let's go. Uh, and then he ended up winning that event with this list. I don't know. I'm sure it's not this exact list. This is the list he sent me for this past event for the second constructed event, which he also took mm-hmm. the list and piled it to a finals. Um, so, you know, that that's like what Scott said is that, you know, certain players gravitate to certain deck and they've succeeded. Uh, for example, Nicholas Steer playing Metroplex, like he top eight at Metroplex two events in a row as well. Uh, so there's, you know, and that's another thing. There wasn't a Metroplex in the top eight of the Invitational either. So I think there was only, and there were a lot of people that played Metroplex actually in the top cut uh, or in the Invitational, but none of them even made it past the top sixteen, I believe. I think there was like four registered Metroplexes for top thirty-two, and I don't think any of them made it. Any of them, I, I know three of them lost in the top thirty-two, and then one I believe lost in top sixteen. So yeah, Metro, Metroplex has uh, it has that just that that variance like inherent variance problem right like mm-hmm. i think dan you said in this last event that you were playing against the metroplex deck and he missed with a bold four attack like yep. the odds that they would miss the bold four attack are so low yeah but you're just you're always kind of you're not coin flipping right it's still better than half on right. average right, right on right. these metroplex attacks but like the sometimes when you miss it's a really big miss right? right like sometimes you'll miss and your opponent has belligerence in their hand for the next turn like right. there are there are times where you can't afford it, and the fact that like the the impact of the like fail state is not like equal, like even it's not like a flat line of 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 impact, right? Like it looks more like this. And if you hit on one of those high beats, like that sometimes that's just the match, yeah. like it literally might just be the game. Yeah. So, um, now one of the things that happened when we went to Titan One, and now we we've said this on multiple occasions. The ATP one set was not tested fully at all with Titan one in mind. Titan one was a created format along the way during testing that just kind of fell into our laps and we went with it. 
So there was a lot of power level worry that we had about the format and how these stratagems would work in the format where there is less titans because they were built to interact with multiple titan decks. Um, and at the forefront of that format was Darkmount Skyshadow. And Scott, you were piloting this deck in the Titan 1 format. How, how powerful did that deck feel to you in that format? Well, it was, it was powerful. I mean, it, it felt equal in power level to what a uh, horrible Sky Shadow would have felt like in a full constructed format. Not very, not very much different. Um, just a different way of gaining almost the same amount of damage on a regular basis, um, and allowing you to play a more varied list. And basically, like I think, I think I was able to play a more interesting way of playing the deck, um, adding more blue things like that. So I, I feel like. It was just as powerful, mm -hmm. um, and especially in in that format. But I think the big thing for me was just that, you know, it was basically to show that Sky Shadow was still top of the heap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We and just didn't see enough Sky Shadows so, yeah. in uh, yeah. in the Invitational. You mentioned this on multiple times, Scott. Yeah. I don't even... I, I, I think there was only, like, two of them registered for the Invitational. Of 32 players, I think two people registered Sky Shadow. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, I mean, I think what you said was it. The, the point was we, we, I think we ran, at least whenever I was playing this thing, it was only against Sky Shadow. Right, right, right. So like, you know, to not, to not ever, to ever see a situation where we weren't seeing it, just meant that whatever we were putting out there was going to be high on the power curve because that's what that that was the bar that we set. Right, right. And the <laughs> reason we set that bar is because that's all we were seeing. Yeah. Before this. Yeah. So yeah, like. What surprises me a little bit is that, um, I mean, yes, we're seeing more more deck diversity, obviously, but like in the end, if we didn't do this, we'd see the same three decks over and over again. And then, especially without the bannings and things like that, we, that's all we would see over and over again. There, there, there's no other room for diversity, in my opinion. Right. And then, I mean, like the big thing that I think this, like particularly the the dark mount version of the Sky Show deck. It delivers so many interesting things that we just weren't really seeing. Uh, now, my version that I had just played in the last event isn't—it's not as unique as some of the other versions we had seen. But uh, you know, shout out to Neil and Chuck—they were playing you know cards like Rapid Conversion, uh, Rapid Ascents in their list and Cooling Vents. Is that right? Cooling Vents. Cooling Vents. Cooling right. Jihan yeah. um, took that in on the Tanks version right. into uh, in yeah, the, into, into, into the, the top the four. Right into the top four. Yeah. Um, yeah. so he was doing, like, they were doing things like that, uh, but, you know, the, all, all along, it's Hunker Down, you know, like, Hunker Down's not a card that saw a ton of play at all before Dark Mount was... In Sky Shadow. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a whole other thing, but, like, right. uh, before mm -hmm. Lord Straxus gets printed, you know, a card like Hunker Down doesn't really exist in the metagame at all. So, just to see that card come in and get some love and get some plays has been a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it, I'll, I'll say that much. <laughs> um yeah and then i guess Playing i think what's interesting always... to me is that oh, we all talked. <laughs> <laughs> uh who wants to go scott Dan, you want to finish <laughs> uh what's interesting to me in the games that i've watched and the games that i've played is that really how close some of these cards were to being playable yeah um like i can't tell you the number, like i can't tell you the number of games where i had with dark mount where i was like I was I was actually mentally keeping track of like how many times did I actually use the repair? How many times did was I um like sitting there above uh ten hit like with more than nine damage on me? Mm -hmm. And things like that. How many times did a leader matter? Like in the deck I played, it didn't matter at all, but like I know you played Callous Leaders, for example. Yeah. Um but then on the flip side, like I would watch Jet fire matchups and it was like how many times did somebody actually move an upgrade how many, and the answer to all these questions is not as much as you would think right like i think i think the biggest effect on a lot of these was like the hit point changes yep. or or the defense or, or attack changes less than it was a lot of the abilities um although i do think that for a lot of the for some of the strategies that don't see as much play i think the abilities are where i would probably think they should see more play but honestly it's this small amount of um, stat increases that I think have made the most difference. And to be honest with you, like a lot of it is like, I mean, the game's already kind of on a nice edge at all times. And to, to see that, like, 
you know, there were times where I would like, I, I remember losing a game where I had Jetfire at 15. Well, if he had been at 15 and not 16, yep. the strategy, the game would have been over. <laughs> yeah. Um, Believe it or not. Dark Mount, like, if Dark Mount only had plus, I think he's plus four, like, if it was only plus three or whatever, whatever one less, like, I would have lost three games. Like, so, um, it's interesting to me that, that that's really all it took for some of these older cards to see play. And to be honest with you, a lot of them, I, I still think, I think without these strategies, they, these cards would not have seen play over better options, of course, um, because the, the other options are just better. But it was interesting to me to see that, like, it really wasn't always um, anything other than giving these cards a chance, right. per se, to right. just see that they could actually still, you know, see play. I can agree to that. Totally agree. <laughs> um, so let's let's break down the the last uh, couple of things. Like so, like I said before, like the Dinobots. I we hadn't really spectated a Dinobot deck, so I have Scott's deck from this event where he, he top eight it. Um, you know, this was a deck that we we had definitely created as a like a just a like a bump in the road deck. I, I like to explain it as it's like. Like, this is here for a specific reason, but because it exists, it can actually change the meta enough to make people, like, adapt again. It's that it's that word adapt uh, to where that's exactly what this deck does. It's like, Quake is just so fixated on preying on all the weak that it didn't really have, like, a true counter at all. Like, even its worst matchup is still probably 50-50. Uh, but this deck just doesn't allow that. Like, it's just like, no, like, you're gonna, if you're gonna beat me, you're gonna earn that victory. Um, and now I know, like, speaking to Ventric, you know, he lost both of his matches 2-1. So it's not like he got 2-0'd in both games. Like, he, they were winnable matchups. Uh, it's just a matter of this or that type thing. But I know that even for me, playing against the Dinobots, and I'm playing a deck that was all based on direct damage, I was still just, like, caming and crashing and throwing things with Dark Mount. Like, it's one damage is one damage, but, like, it still adds up over the course of the game. It's that incremental damage is still going to matter. Um, and I also, think... Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, like, the, a lot of the, like, characters who were not the main character in, like, lineups that we gave stratagems to, you look at Sludge, you look at Jazz, what we actually created for them was, like, they were lightning rod characters, Right. right? Where like they just it was it was less about the fact that like they took over the game the whole game and it was more like they became priority numero uno for your opponent to actually answer right uh, and then once they were out of the game the the strategies tended to look more back towards like what they normally played as but generally speaking what the, what we did was we allowed the different decks and strategies to actually earn themselves some time to set up if they were trying to do a specific angle of attack right. Um, and uh, to the point of Dinobot specifically, it actually has another huge benefit for the metagame, which is not just the bump in the road. Um, but and Scott, I think you can uh, you'll echo my sentiments on this. Dinobots is a deck. Uh, you can win about ninety percent of the games of Dinobots of the Dinobots deck like that it is capable of winning um, without leveraging a ton of player skill. It is a great it's a great deck for like players who are really trying to get their feet wet in terms of like what competitive play is like to like take to an event. I think we told uh, Spencer, who's one of our newer players, um, and I believe he top aided this most recent event top with forward. Dinobots. Top forward. Top forward. He top forward this event with Dinobots, and he he literally came to the general chat before he signed up for this event. And was like, guys, what should I play? Like, I don't. I'm not that familiar with ADP one. <laughs> like, I'm not that familiar with Titan one. What should I play? And, we, and then like the slam dunk answer was like, let's dude, dude play Dinobots. Like. Like, play Dinobots. One, they're fun. Like, you swinging for lots and, and blocking for lots is fun. Um, the big numbers is cool. Yeah, ironic. Uh, they're decks. Ironic, it was two people. It was, it was Spencer and it was uh, Clayton. Clayton also was just like, yeah. I'm just going to play Dinobots because why not? And, like, he ended up in top eight as well. The deck is great. They, so there's something that is just inherently good in most metagames about attacking for a decent amount and defending for a decent amount. Mm -hmm. And Dinobots just do that all the time so yeah the last thing i want to touch on is heed the call uh this was a big 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 buff for metroplex and other than the invitational you know where it didn't do as well it I, i'm not exactly sure what happened in the invitational why none of those succeeded uh but since then we've had 
Metroplex in top eight of the Titan One event, and then two Metroplexes in the top eight of this second constructed event. Heed the call, obviously very powerful stratagem, and it's seeing. It's not even that like the deck is coming in large numbers. It's really been like two or three people in an event that have been playing it, but it's still finding success and finding a way into the top eight. Uh, Scott, are you surprised at all that Metroplex is finding success with Heed the Call? Um, I'm not surprised it's seeing success because of Heed the Call. I'm just surprised so many people actually enjoy playing. Hmm. Okay. Uh, because <laughs> to me, it's like just not playing the game the same way. So, like, I've never just, I just never enjoyed that one tall deck from the get go. So, like, it's just not playing. It's too much of a dice roll for me. Uh, so I'm just surprised people enjoy it that much because I'm I'm, I'm not surprised like I'm when people don't hit that bold four trigger like I'm just surprised they're just like oh, I'm not playing this deck ever again. <laughs> and now, now, now like and now you're now you're giving them the now you're saying we we improved it by giving you a similar situation on both sides of the coin <laughs> and and somebody's not like yeah I'm not playing this anymore like I did I missed a defensive trigger instead of I missed an attack trigger but you know. Um, I guess I guess you don't remember the victories. I don't I don't know or or ignore the defeats. I, I don't know. So like to me, I'm just surprised that so many people gravitate towards it at all. But I mean, I'm not surprised from a power level um, that it would go there because honestly, the deck's always just been about whether or not you hit certain things and helping that ability to stay alive longer yeah. just gives that that survivability and, and more turns because every time you hit, you're just basically like taking an entire round away from your opponent. So. Yeah, I agree. Wyatt? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, I think there's a caveat we need to actually open this statement with, which is that the first two tournaments with Metroplex were played with the incorrect wording on the stratagem. Um, especially, the, I think the one that was more impactful was the Titan 1 event. Yeah, because uh, it, it only saw minimal play in Invitation, so we didn't even know that there was an issue with it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there was an issue with it. So it was the, and, and just for those of you at home, if you're not familiar, um, the original wording of the stratagem forgot to include um, on the portion that gave your non-Titans pierce. Uh, that was supposed to have a clause that says, while you control Metroplex. Right. Yeah, all throughout testing, yeah. it was tested like that, and we just missed the wording on it, and nobody, and I mean, literally nobody brought it up until we were in, like, round three of Titan 1, and I'm like, someone's coming to tell me that their guys died after Metroplex died, and I'm just like, how did this happen? And, uh, yeah, yeah we and just, then, yeah, we just missed it. So that, that, that caveat needs to be made. Yeah. Like, we, did, we put the disclaimer out, but the correct wording is is that, like, they your non-Titans get Pierce um, against a tapped-out opponent while you have Metroplex. Um, and so, but given that, even, like, with the updated text, like, the stratagem is it's, it is a strict update stratagem. It's the only zero-star stratagem that exists in the game. It's the only one that we actually put out in ATP 1, even though we explored that idea with other characters. Um, uh, but Metroplex being 25 stars just didn't really allow for it, right? So um, that, that stratagem is massively powerful and was largely intended to hinder multiple Titan decks. Mm-hmm. Because once they, you know, once they dump out one of their little guys, like the idea that one of those little guys could just like swing for thirteen on like regular, like their clobber just thirteen, so they're just grass just thirteen. Like uh, the idea that like that was just like a, a relatively consistent experience yeah. um, was one something we actively wanted to hinder. And right. so when you get to Titan One, where that experience is already hindered by the nature of the construction constraints on the format, um, then it's a compounding effect with Metroplex. So the power level in Titan One is like it's like a square value it's yeah. not you know, it's not like a linear value uh yeah and exactly. so yeah thank you exponential <laughs> what my brain did forgot the word exponent whatever um but i'm not surprised i'm with scott i'm not surprised at all that it saw success um and i i don't i wonder why more people don't play metroplex uh, i'm the opposite but the reason for that is because i just don't recall my opponents ever missing <laughs> i just don't i just don't have like many memories of them ever missing yeah. So that's fair. if you're gonna hit every time, I mean that deck is nuts. It's pretty good. Yeah. I, I know the the stats say they're gonna miss, but <laughs> I mean, fifty percent is fifty percent, right? I, I I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. What about you, Dan? Uh, Do you have any thoughts on Metroplex? I feel like you you played a lot of Metroplex when you were playing, right? 
not not as but against i have never ever played a single game as metroplex yeah ever um you're right yeah i have it I is have... it's very satisfying to have that giant the giant character that's one of the appeals is like so because of how tactile transformers is as a game and why we enjoy webcam over octagon a lot of the time um is because like just like the feel of the cards and having that giant dude to like just full arm tap is actually thoroughly enjoyable i will say that no no no. I, i'm with scott the, the 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 play style is just not for me i feel it's it doesn't give a lot of decision points and i think that's my biggest issue is that i like to i i like decision points that i feel i can leverage play against my opponent and i don't feel like if in Metroplex, it really is just like if I hit my trigger, awesome. If I don't, crap. And I, I don't know. I, I guess that's my biggest downfall with it. Um, and I wanted to yeah, and specifically so taking that those those, those points away from my your opponents is also an issue. So this was so this is the only Wheeljack deck that has nearly made a top eight um i know neither of you have seen this i don't know if either i don't know if scott you played against this but this yeah, was I, I played, all right played yeah. so this was uh this was your quarry okay. oh. no it was your quarry uh so your was just playing traditional cars with wheeljack wind charger and cliff jumper he ended up finishing i think ninth in the event like or it was either ninth or tenth so like he had just missed he was playing in the bubble in the last round um i yeah. did play against this deck in the extra life event when i was playing the two tall oa mm-hmm um, in both the games I won, I missed my first Oa trigger and still won those games. Hmm. Fair enough. It was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is like what we're saying. Like, this is one of those decks where, you know, Wheeljack, you know, this ability on this card is just, you know, insane. Where you get to basically on turn zero if you want, you get to look and find more cards, play play utility on your turn zero. So you get to play an upgrade on your turn zero. Uh, it's a very, very strong, powerful card, but it's one of those ones from ATP1 that I just don't feel like people are playing. Um, and it, and maybe it is because, like, the 9 and the 10 card, you know, the 9-star character with the star bonus, like, does make it a little more interesting and a little more complicated for uh, building. But this is a card that I really, I really enjoyed in testing. I really thought it was, like, interesting and unique and like different from a lot of the other stratagems that were created in set one. So I'm actually a little, I'm, I'm a little bummed out that we didn't see more wheeljack, honestly, in the metagame. Well, uh, you know, I think they're one of the other cards that I was shocked. We haven't seen one of them in the metagame is rally, which is the SRTB stratagem. And I right. think there's a commonality between both of those things, other than that they are stratagems related to cars, but they're also both one shot abilities. Yeah. So I think the idea that like those stratagems, Stratagem's really most powerful piece is consumable, mm -hmm. like over the course of a game. Um, kind of, I guess, turns people off. I guess part of that is because they they create kind of a sub game about like when is the best time to use this, how is it the best to use this thing. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, um, because it's consumable, it's actually it's a resource that is differently employed optimally, like in an optimal manner, right. matchup to matchup. Like it changes when and how you want to use it. Uh, uh, sometimes you just want to get guaranteed that you can use it. Sometimes that is just the best way to, to to go about it. Sometimes your hand is just really awful early in the game. You need to cycle through. You need to set up like a defensive thing, like look for a pocket processor or some kind of recuperative tool. Um, and sometimes, like for example, the rally deck uh, that Christian was playing. I put it uh, one, one of the major. <laughs> well, yeah, one one of the one of the major one of the major uh, deals there is that that deck actually changes play pattern between pre and post sideboarded games, given that people started to be uh, somewhat scared of it after the extra life event and that they you were seeing like uh lose the initiative in the sideboard right I had and too. because of that yeah because of that like that effect means that oftentimes the best move with your B was to just throw him out and guarantee that you got the untap right or right and give your opponent the least amount of turns to take it away from you exactly and that's a that's a really really big deal um, and it's a it's a player it's a player familiarity thing. Mm -hmm. So I think the one shot ones, uh, Scott, you mentioned that like one of the things that we talked about with HP one is just the, like the idea that like all of these cards would be explored to their fullest extent uh, that they ought maybe ought to be is kind of a lot to ask of players, especially when you look at these cards that uh, require like a lot of actual reps to get familiar mm -hmm. enough with to use to their maximum ability. 
Yeah. So that's fair. Hope I wasn't too long on that. That no. one. I feel like I... no, 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 no totally. Yeah. It's interesting to me that the, the Wheeljack one is also the only non-Metroplex one, and not the like technically the Rampage to not actually give stat buffs, and so maybe that's why some people haven't gravitated towards it. And Rampage I think kind of gives stat buffs too. What? Which one? Yeah, Rampage yeah, kind of gives yeah, yeah. stat buffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like on the card, right? Um, and I think I think I think people just don't understand how. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I totally understand either, like, how close, even in a modern metagame, that Cars was to being playable if you just give them the ability to pretty much always hit their cards. Like, why is it okay that, like, um, uh, like, Quake or Sky Shadow, like, all you have to do is play some black cards and you get your ability. Whereas, like, you know, the, the, the card decks still have to dig and find um, starter engines and cards like that. Like, like if you just give them the ability to basically be on that same, even more even playing field, they're just as playable, in my opinion. And the only thing, the only reason I beat that deck is for the same way that the cards decks always lost is because I, I was playing Dinobots as just the bigger aggro mm -hmm. deck. And then, like, they just can't compete with the bigger aggro deck yeah. um, in, in a fair fight. Um, so it was, that, that was interesting to me that, like, that's all we had to do was give them that little buff um, and you had old like a like a wave one strategy, essentially unchanged, just to improve battle cards. Um, yeah, and you uh, had it right there. Yeah, I mean, I I I actually I hadn't personally thought of it the way you just said, where like giving them the additional ability to play the cards they are required to play to even attempt to win a game, um, which has just always been true about cards. Either you hit an untap or you didn't, um, as opposed to where you know just horrible reads you know, 32 cards in your deck do zap, you know? Right. So like, like, mm -hmm. like when you have that type of number of odds, it's like, yeah, I can see why this isn't fair. Um, but yeah, it is, it is interesting to see, uh, some of those things. Like, I, I think it does come with that complexity. I, to me, cars has never been an easy deck to play. Um, I think there's, it, there is a, it is probably one of the more difficult aggro decks to play for certain. And maybe that's another reason why we're not seeing enough of it either. Uh, but you know, it's, it's still interesting that these two particular stratagems, we, you know, I think as most of the protocols would agree that we thought we would see more of it and, and we just haven't. So that's why I wanted to like particularly mm -hmm. pick these ones out. Um, and then the only other one realistically that only got, I think maybe one deck list of love was with the Inferno stratagem and Scott, you were the only person to play Megatron. Um, but we knew Megatron was, it was a a good interesting thing to bring but it still has its own faults and and quarries at the end of the day is there any other yeah. any other any of the other stratagems uh, that you demolisher? demolisher yeah so like demolisher just sees play because it's good get like... yeah but the stratagem anti-air battery uh the only two-star stratagem we put in hp1 has not seen a ton of play i think jihan took it to top four in the invitational and I imagine that, like, a couple of people played tanks in following events, but I, I you would know better than I would, Dan. I don't think there were, actually. I'm huh. a single person. No. Well, then, it, it's also a one-tournament a one love stratagem. Yeah. And performed very well in its tournament, too. So. Well, the, the funny uh, thing actually, was, I mean, where, where I assumed it would shine would have been Titan 1, uh, because in the Extra Life event that I held before ATV One was released, the most played deck was a was a four wide aggro deck revolved around Demolisher, kind of like the the deck played at Orlando. Um, but the no, nobody brought that deck to 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 the Titan One. Like nobody brought it. So that's the kind of deck that I feel like you might not main deck that card, but that that card's probably in your board because you can interestingly board into like other things like and he can just be like this ridiculous eight star in your deck now um so you can kind of board out a four wide but might have weaknesses to whatever and then board into the big three well, wide deck but it has a weakness a major weakness well it's jazz uh, right right yeah it's, it's jazz, jazz. <laughs> see, see dan here's the thing about yeah. <laughs> it, it gets it gets mostly stonewalled by jazz right right um but it's still to me like a fairly aggressive deck that still gave you options and ways around jazz. It's not like you couldn't do the same thing that 
Christian did in his Quake deck and just play some Calculated Strikes or something like that and just make your attacks matter. So, like, those are the things that shocked me a little bit that, that that's where I actually thought the card would have seen more love and it hasn't yet. So I'll be interested to see if maybe moving forward, you know, as as the, the, the meta develops again now because of ATP2, uh, if any of these now get a second look type thing, um, but we'll see. We will. I'm not, I'm not entirely... I'm, I'm sure... I, I think a couple of them will see more play as time goes on or based as based on... The, the power level of all of them is pretty unavoidable, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that uh, Scott talked before about how close Cars is to being playable in the, in the, in the modern pre-ATP metagame. Um, and I think a lot of the ATP1 stratagems, maybe the ones that saw a little bit less love, I think if you if you really think about them, if you really try and try and build around them, uh, how close they are to playable and relevant in the post-ATP metagame, post-ATP2 metagame, you know, down the line even further, right, ATP3. Uh, I think that those are, the answer to that question is going to be higher than you think, closer than you think. Yeah. So. Um, anything else that adds, Scott? Is there any other? Good. No, I just think the demolisher thing in general, it's, it's this type of thing where it was basically another answer to threat damage that was out there. And like once people were getting countered by one thing and it stopped showing up as much, there's no need for that either. Like it's just another, it's it's another similar answer just with a different deck. So yeah, it, it's like the, the same hate that's the, out there. The two stars probably isn't worth the three health, right? Or the four health. Is that what it is? I can't remember. It's three health. Three yeah. health, yeah. So at that point, if it's like if you're not... If you're not getting the full value of the two stars, and I can see where that argument comes in, right. it is the probably the most sideboardable stratagem of the bunch released in HP one. I, for me, when the moment we had like you know gone with it, I said I was like, this will be a sideboard card in my opinion. Especially oh. now after we added the sideboard slot to sideboards say. for the tournaments, like it it seems almost like another just no brainer. Like I'll just play this card, you know. That's probably the, one of the biggest impacts of ATP one is giving us like the the push that was like necessary for us to include something that honestly probably should have been a part of the game as soon as stratagems got introduced. Right. It was just a place for them in sideboards. Yeah, I agree. Like in the construction, actually having a character slot, a stratagem slot, and then the battle cards slot. Slots, plural. <laughs> Slots. I forgot that. <laughs> what were you going like to ask? Anyway. What were you going to ask, Wyatt, before you, we cut you that off? That was it. That was what I was going to ask. Was like, how, how have we not talked about like ATP one being like the the final like straw that broke the camel's back for us, including the stratagem slot and sideboards? Well, so I, I think mean, it helped that we made eleven stratagems, but you know, that's my point. It's, it was the final push, right? Like yeah. it was the final. Like, like now that we have eleven playable stratagems. We, well, that was the point: is that we didn't really have any before, so it wasn't a big deal. Well, <laughs> Stealth mission was play. Sky Shadow Sync was pretty playable. I think. Yeah, but that's a main deck card. You're not you're not born that card. <laughs> no, I know. Sabotage. I played Sabotage in, in in several sideboards. That's fair. That's fair. But that's really mm-hmm. like it. Um, yeah. Do you want to guys want to like Dan? I don't know what if the structure was was this. You want to talk through any of the, like the specific characters from AT, or specific strategies from HP one, as far as like uh or or did, or did you want to move on to like our next topic? I mean, I think we pretty much covered all of the, uh, all of the, at least a little bit. I know we really didn't discuss Megatron, but there wasn't much to discuss because no one really played or tried to tackle him. Same thing with Inferno. No one really tried to play or tackle him or include him uh, where we had assumed he would be included in sideboards a little bit more. Um, And then other than that, they've been up on screen rotating the entire time. Everything else has been pretty much at least touched upon by at least one player or more. Um, so I, I don't know that we need to discuss any specific ones, to be honest, unless you just want to talk about the overall success of the better ones, uh, which we kind of started with. Like, you know, we've seen Metroplex in top eight, in multiple top eights. We've seen Jetfire in, we've seen Jetfire in the finals of all three of the Alpha Trion events. Um, and we've seen Dark Mount in two of those and in the top four of the Invitational. So, Dark Mountain and the Jetfire, ironically, were the most successful ones for sure uh, mm-hmm. so far. It, it should be talked about too that the, everywhere the Jetfire made it, Jazz made it. So, right, right, right. It, so yeah, so Jazz was obviously very successful as well. Um, ironically, Jazz is probably the most top eight character of the yeah, yeah, because there he was in actually I don't know he wasn't in all of the. I was thinking he was in all of the 
ones from the Perceptor decks, but that's not true. It's not. He was in. He was, he was at least like a sideboard character, I think, in all of them, though. Uh, I'm just gonna go back and look. So one. You know, we should have the stats on this, one, but we don't. Uh, no. So there's only there's only two Jazzes in top eight of the Invitational, and then that's not true, right? Because there's it's just Perceptor. Were... It was just Kai and myself. Oh, I keep forgetting the other two Perceptorists were not playing Jazz. One was Frangry, one was Pounce. It's true. Um, That's true. So yeah, so neither of them were playing it. So there's only, there's only two there. Um, this event, I believe it was just... Yeah, it was just... Uh, it was just Tim again. So Tim was Jazz there. And then for the last event, it was Tim. And I'm not sure if there was another one or not. But it might have just been Tim again. So... It's probably still true, uh, just because of the one Perceptor deck. But uh, I, I, I can say that just just the addition of Jazz has we talked about this a little bit in the beginning. Like it's created enough of a change that it's at least proven itself the way we thought it was. It's not overly powered. It's just a nice correction of curve to create a diversity that didn't exist before. Uh, because like realistically the blue decks just were beyond on struggle street because like there's just every so many things had to go right for the blue decks in the field to really succeed uh and jazz just being a the slightest of corrections of just enabling things to actually have to happen and for your opponent just to not flip combat with bold a billion and just kill whoever they want all the time like it, it was just enough of a correction course to create uh, the speed bump once again of like, all right, this character's a speed bump character that just, it enables me to set up my plays for a deck that I want to play rather than my guys just all die because like, I can't do anything about it. Yeah, incidentally, like the, the, the it was the, the, the uninteractability of critical mass pierce that was low opportunity cost to include mm-hmm. uh, led to games feeling not just uh, overwhelmingly lopsided in terms of one archetype, a one macro archetype, but also uh, very the same. Mm-hmm. They just, they just, I, you know, every attack for seven pierce five, attack for seven pierce five, attack for seven pierce five. Like, yeah, and that, even even if you had like a different lineup, your battle deck was still probably like eighty five percent, ninety percent the same. Like, yep. it was just like these are all just the best cards. Everyone's just playing them. There's no 30, 40 cards. With right. The exact there's same. there's just no difference in in cards. Like, there's just so many things that. I believe that this set did correct in a way that we wanted to correct of seeing, you know, like once again, I'll talk about like the hunker downs, the rapid ascents, the ghost shields, like these yeah, cards just, they just didn't. Superior jet pack, gyro blaster. Right, right. All these things that just like, they had no place in the metagame or like there, there was, there wasn't even in time to think about the idea of playing these cards. And mm-hmm. now you have all mm-hmm. these different options, which is, you know, I think it's a gigantic win for the set. Yeah, I think so too. So, do we want to talk about a little bit for few like forward facing stuff, or do we not have enough time? No, I don't think we're gonna have enough time for this one. So we're just gonna focus on the next one, uh, and we'll just wrap up with ATP one. And we really wanted to take this time to discuss ATP one in this matter because uh, I believe Scott said it like once again at the beginning. Like, it's hard to do this now for your own stuff and in your own events because you want people to figure it out. But now that we're at the end of the end of the quote era of ATP one and bringing in ATP two, uh, it felt like a good time to like discuss the last three months of the tournament scene. A retrospective. Yeah. <laughs> Any last yeah. words, Scott? We're not spending. No, I mean, there's. I, I still think there's more out there to explore. I think. I think. I think there are parts of ATP two that will also interact with ATP one as well. For sure. Um, and I, <laughs> I think there's just. There's more out there. Um, I think that I think the big thing to understand is that just because you see something like successful um, does not mean it's overpowered. Because again, our goal with all these cards is to make every single one of them quote playable. Whereas, like, because like unlike the Wizards thing where you have a hundred and something card set, and like the idea is only to have twenty percent of it actually see tournament play. Our goal is to our goal was to have that number be well north of that. I mean, it's but it's it's, 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 it's to have it's three to have, times that. It's to have the same number of cards, though. That's the thing. Right, right. 
Right. Like mm-hmm. if so if we're saying it's a hundred card set and twenty five of them are playable and twenty that's twenty five percent, we're just creating right. the twenty five that are playable. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Cutting the and, and 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 as a result of that, not even all of them become playable because right. there's a tier a tiering to that as well. So mm-hmm. like, so like we understand that compared to, I don't want to say compared to like a like a like a previously built card that they're powerful. Just that like the percentage of them is more powerful. So it may seem like. Right. It artificially seems like that because they're purposely made in that way. Yeah. Not to re- again, not to replace what's there before, but to only to it, in especially in this situation, only to enhance it. Like, you know, I, I can't play uh, a dark mount stratagem without dark mount. So it's like I didn't invent dark mount. If if he didn't have those abilities, giving him plus four health and all that and all that stuff wouldn't even matter. Right. Um, so again, like we're only here to enhance, and I feel like that going forward. Um, that's what's going to happen. Like the, the, these old cards being enhanced is still going to be an issue, positively, for the game. And the, um, adding new cards is only going to help those situations because it just becomes exponentially more difficult to. Because the, we start with a, a, a larger base of playable cards, mm-hmm. which means going forward, any new cards that are created and enter into the metagame have a larger pool of things for them to interact with. Um, so I think there's more combinations and more. Um, combos out there, which which that that all has its own like circular flywheel type effect on it. Like as new cards come in and it interacts with the other cards, there are more of the old, old cards also see play. Like the the one the the biggest impact for me has been like you you mentioned uh, like a few times um, is the battle card deck diversity that has come out of this with like cooling events seeing play or like. Uh, these other awful cards, like Rapid Ascent, seeing play. Hey, you I know. got straight up crushed by Rapid Ascent. Right, exactly. Like, 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 like cards that I didn't even know existed at right. times. Like, I had to, like, right. you know, it's to me, it's very similar to like Junkion, where like I'm I'm scrolling through and looking at like sorting things by commonality, like by rarity, and then by color, you know, and things like that. Like that, I'm I'm specifically. Sorting things by a certain thing. I go, oh, I need to look at all the armors that are available to me. Oh, wait, there's an orange armor that now I can repair two. Or, oh, here's one where I can make them discard a card, and I would get to repair one if I'm playing Dark Matter, or I would get you know get it right back with Jetfire, make them discard two. Like, like there's certain combinations of things, and that flywheel as new cards come out will just more things will be realized, so that this will constantly be iterating amongst amongst itself to where ATP one becomes more and more relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the big thing for me is just like try things right. like mm. but but I but I again and I've said this since March in a lot of different mediums I understand the nature of how we're playing the game now is means that you you are using the same deck for a longer period of time but I I would just encourage you to like ask around to play games because I think there's a lot more people that are willing to do that and you're going to get more. Um, exposure to new things, uh, so I would just suggest that people do that as best as possible because that's the best way to play test and just get used to these things. One hundred percent. I think just to can just to can like hit the point forward, like the theme of us like trying to enhance your already existing card collection is far from lost in ATP two. Like the re- the mm-hmm. the new life based into aerial bots and stunticons is pretty obviously recognizing those combiners, right? Um, you look at Soundwave giving you a reason to sleeve up and put your put into top loaders your old spy patrols, your old cassettes uh, that, that maybe necessarily were just kind of sitting in a binder that are a gone, you know, a gone aware some way. Uh, some way aware. Somewhere away. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I could not say it. Um, and, I, and like those are those are like the, the obvious like on the surface ones. But we're also doing the stratagems for the Junkion characters, bringing new life into them, right? Like Barricade was already saying a little bit of play, but but RC was very French, right? And so like giving giving her like an additional uh, metagame relevance, like giving you uh, giving adding value to the core cards and sets that you presently have as a player, is a major and foundational goal of ATP releases. And something that we look to continue um, uh, and expand the flywheel that Scott mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, definitely for as long as possible, for sure. Um, and, you know, creating 
the fringe battle cards that were created, you know, they're still, they're still, they're, they're all they're doing is adding to that deck diversity that we want. Like, and I, I covered this a little bit before. It's like, if you want to play a bashing shield because it's green, then play a bashing shield because it's green. If you want to play this other card because it gives you more versatility, then play this other card because it gives you more versatility. But at least at that point, it's a decision point for the players to play with. So that that's the most important thing to me. Uh, but all in all, I mean, you know, I'm very happy with the, the last three-ish months of these events. And, um, you know, we, we, we have, we, we've seen some new top dogs in Jetfire and Dark Mount. And we'll have to see what that looks like moving forward with ATP2 and, and how much the meta changes again and does another trajectory train. So it'll be really cool to see those things develop. It's been really fun to hear the feedback and... Um, you know, Scott was saying, like, honestly, some of the games that I watch in the Discord are hysterical. Like, they're just, like, some of the stuff that people come up with, I'm just like, that's wild. <laughs> you know, like, it's one of those, like, all right, like, I'm entertained for an hour. Cool. Um, but, yeah, and that's, that, that, I, I don't know, it's been it's been a really fun couple months, and it's been great to see everyone enjoying the set as much as we did. So, that's pretty cool. But, I believe that is going to be it for the episode uh thanks again for watching and we're going to continue to do these more often now to run you through the sets run you through the development and you know this was just a, a recap episode but the next one probably a little bit different so stay tuned for next time guys see ya